as a kid growing up, there's a bunch of things that you look to for inspiration. Other artists, or athletes, business people, you know, trying to find what it was that kind of made them tick. And hopefully I can learn something. The muse to me is a person that challenges what's ordinary. And through challenging what's ordinary, you wind up inspiring a shitload of people. Welcome to the Muse Project. Today's guest is Brian Williams. No, not the news host, Brian Williams, not on CBS, no. This is the basketball coach, Brian Williams. Coach Williams is located in trains and works on skill development in Atlanta, Georgia. And when I first met him, you know, he was extremely open to having conversations with me about basketball. And it's just an honestly, just an extremely genuine human being who just wants to help people around him. And he afforded me this opportunity to talk to him about the game, the life, and just the future of basketball and where it's going. So let's dive into this episode, and I hope you enjoy this one. Coach, how you doing? I'm good. How you doing, KP? I'm good. I want to just say thank you for coming on the show, and want to first start off by telling people how we met. It's such a it's it's kind of an interesting story. I have a friend named Tommy Shada, who introduced me to Coach Brian in Atlanta. And I think I don't think he was working Ryan Matumbo. And the, where do you work at again? The Life Lifetime, right in Atlanta. Yeah. So I had a Ultimate Hoops basketball. I'm a player development coach there for the last five years. It's a program within Lifetime Fitness or Lifetime Athletic gotcha. Club here in Atlanta. Yeah. And so I wanted to first ask you how you first got involved with the game. So it started out young, I assume. But then when you came to college and high school and talk about your career starting off from there and how you got involved in the game and how your passion for the game just kind of developed. Yeah, that's a great question, man. I was very fortunate to grow up in a basketball hotbed. So I grew up in Detroit and during the 80s, it was just crazy phenomenal basketball culture playing in the parks playing in the rec leagues and then i end up playing for cooley high school which is a basketball powerhouse won three state championships prior to me getting there and i i was part of a city championship in 92 so i played there four years i was a four-year varsity player and then from there i ended up going to i got a full ride to university of oregon and I was part of that first wave of ducks to kind of get that program turned around. So I played at Oregon for two years, and then I ended up transferring to Tennessee State and playing in the OVC my last two years. So I had a definitely fun experience playing. The game has been a lot to me. It's definitely helped me see places and go places that I never probably wouldn't have went to if it wasn't for the game. Yeah. And when you talk about your time at Oregon, how did that happen? So, like, how did you get that scholarship opportunity? And how was the recruiting different from back then than it is now? It's completely different, obviously. But I just want to hear how the process was in regards to how it was then to compare to how it was now. Yeah, that's a great question, man. You know, I think during that time, we was really heavy on receiving mail or letters. And so Oregon would send me... Mellers and the son of John Thompson, Ronnie Thompson, was on the staff at the time. And I reached out, I followed up with him after I qualified from the ACT. I basically had a few offers 
in the Midwest from like Dayton, Eastern Michigan, schools like that. But I definitely reached back out to Coach Thompson and told him I had an interest. He actually asked me for some film and I sent I sent him some film and after they watched the film, he ended up leaving, taking a job somewhere else. A guy named Bobby Braswell picked up the recruiting and after they saw the tape, they flew me out for a visit. Mm, they were sold. They were sold. <laughs> and then it, was, it was it. They offered me that same weekend that I visited, but then I went back to Detroit because I went back to Detroit just to talk to my family and make sure it was the right decision because that was a big jump. Yeah, yeah. But it ended up being one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. Love to hear it. That sounds like it was a fruitful event going to Oregon for sure. So when you played in college, what was the plan your senior year? And what did you want to do after you graduated at the time? And then how did that those decisions lead to a career in player development and training with players and working with basketball players just to de develop their skills? Absolutely. So my senior year, I was really big on graduating. I have known a lot of players that had the opportunity to get a full scholarship and didn't take advantage of graduating. So that was a big thing because I was one of the first in my immediate family. I was the first to go to college and graduate with a four-year degree. So my plan, obviously, was to, to play after college. The opportunities was a lot different, to be honest, in terms of there wasn't a G League or they could only, at the time, there were only two guys that could play internationally per, per roster. So there was a, just a lot of different things. So I kind of knew that I would go back to Detroit and stay around the game. I just wasn't sure if I wanted to coach, to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah, I went back to Detroit and I started working with kids in a group home. And from there, I, I stayed around the game because I had a lot of friends that were coaching. And they would they would always ask me like you don't want to coach yeah and, and sometimes I would go to their practices and help them out with the guards and different things like that and I ended up getting offered an assistant coaching job at my alma mater Cooley just to work player development at the time he just the head coach was a former Cooley player and he knew me and he was like you know what I definitely want you to work with with our guards and when I did that I saw that what I knew I could translate to the players and that's when a light bulb kind of yeah. came on. So one thing I love talking to coaches about in all aspects is their early day careers because I've heard some crazy stories about coaches saying, yep. yeah, I didn't make money my first two years and I didn't do this or I didn't. I had to earn my way, and I love to hear the things that coaches did in terms of just trying to – make it known that they want to do this for real. Like they want to improve the lives of people through the game of basketball and they want to make this a profession. So if you can hone on some of the things that you had to overcome as an early, like when you were first starting as a coach, like some things that you had to overcome that were struggles that may not be struggles now, if you can hone on on that. Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. I think when I moved from Detroit from in 2005 to in, in 2006, I got an opportunity to work here in Atlanta, and a good friend of mine from college was 
just got certified as a sports agent and he, he said, man, I want you to come to Atlanta with me and help me develop my players that I'm assigned. And so I have been working in social services. So I've been working with, with young men and then coaching part time as assistant coach. And I was just like, that's, that was one of, again, one of those light bulb moments. And so once I started to make that connection, working with players, it was really, I really felt like I could really help them get better. But then in the beginning stages, there were challenges with gym time and different things mm-hmm. like that, making sure guys were committed to player development. It was almost like this introduction of a new role in basketball being player development because historically player development there were there were not player development coaches your assistant coach was really he did everything so he did the workouts he did the scout he did you know whether or not he was in charge of offense or defense so the player development coach is something that in terms of a title was a new thing around that time so Guys used to just say, I have a workout guy. So I guess really establishing yourself with coaches, that was a challenge because sometimes a high school coach or college coach, like they kind of want to vet you in a certain mm-hmm. way. So yeah. having a workout guy, you really had to solidify yourself as being able to help their players. So that's a great thing you said because I've actually noticed that within the realm of basketball coaching that if you've been able – you can say that you've worked players out, but you still have to earn your keep within coaches and within that business Absolutely. unless you uh, – if you haven't been in established programs and so on and so forth. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you was what we talked about when I saw you in Atlanta was when you're working out a player – you have to look at it from a coaching perspective rather than you just putting them through drills. So if you can talk about that mindset and what made you want to shift to that perspective rather than just putting out some cones for a crossover or just some kind of simple moves to work on a player, but rather than, okay, if this player did this specific move at this angle or some detailed way so it can be more oriented, from a coach's perspective, it would be more efficient. So I wanted to ask you, how did you get that mindset and what made you want to change to that? Yeah, that's a great question, KP. I think there's two, I think, reasons why I approached the game that way as a player development coach. One is to my DNA. So as a, as a former player, if I worked out, I worked out game-like situations I did things that I did in games, so or things that coaches wanted me to get better at. I think two is a trickle down theory, which I learned from Kenny Atkinson, who was the former player development coach, and now, and I guess now a former coach of uh, the Brooklyn Nets. But at the time, he was when I had my small stint with the Hawks in youth basketball, I had an opportunity to kind of shadow him when he was the Hawks player development coach. And he would talk a lot about everything in terms of how he built his workout, even from the ownership, in terms of what direction, what type of players that you want to deal with or they want for their franchise. And so I look at it from the standpoint of, if I'm working 
working with a kid, then I want his coach to be on the same page. I want that intel from his program so I can go in and make him better based upon the things that will help him be successful on the court. Because a lot of times there's a conflict. Yeah. A guy is in the offseason, he's working on things that he won't get an opportunity to do in the games. So I want to make sure we're on that same page and there's an alignment between me being the, the private coach in the offseason versus the coach during season. So mm. that's pretty much just been, I think, my niche in, in this profession is to have that kind of alignment. Right. Now, when you're working with players on a scale, on like whatever scale it is, whether it's a high-level basketball player to a youth player, how important are the details to you when you're working out a player? And is it at a point where sometimes they can be overemphasized? Because if we're talking about opinions, I've seen certain coaches talk about angles and degree of angles on the court, which sometimes I feel like could be thrown out of proportion. And I just wanted to get your take on that in regards to how important are the details when it comes to player development and can they ever be overemphasized? Can they? Can you get to a point where you're coaching a player and you're just talking too much and not letting them go at their own pace? Yeah, that's a great question as well. I think the important thing that you said was youth versus high-level elite pro-level players. They just classified as that. So, like, on the youth level, I think the details are extremely important because you want to establish their foundation their basics and the same can be true for a high level player you definitely want to lead with those fundamentals the things that you know and the things that you study and if a player is lacking in an area that he he or she feels like she's struggling with and you see some small details missing then you would want to add that i think when it becomes a situation where it's overemphasized, I think it's when you're dealing with a high-level player that's performing very well, and if it's Reggie Miller and you're telling him he needs to change how his shot mechanics look, and he's shooting almost 40% <laughs> <laughs> from three, For like, real. Yeah. you don't want to bother that. So I think it depends on the player. It depends on the situation. There's a, there's a lot that goes into that, to be honest. Yeah. And so I try my best to evaluate and see it as a whole, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it does. Totally. And I like how you talked about how the importance of a professional rather than when you're talking to a young person just trying to get into the game, just learning the game, and their parents are just reaching out just so you can work them out or just for them to get better. Because at the end of the day, it's about relationships. And how yep. do you, as a trainer, when you have such a an array of clients in regards to their skill level, how do you? What's your strategy in regards to how you communicate with them, and how you direct the attention to them, if that makes sense? So you're talking to a professional athlete one hour, talking about their footwork and their mechanics, and then you go back to the grassroots level, talking about let's go work on our right hand layup. So. What's your mindset in regards to coaching that? Yeah, I think definitely you, you hit it on the nose when you say it's really about the relationship. If I'm working with a high school kid or a kid that's playing youth basketball, a lot of times 
I'll call that parent or I'll text that parent and say, can you send me a schedule? And I'll show up to the games. And it might be a kid playing seventh grade middle school league and me showing up for a game. And I may not be able to go to all of them, but showing up at a game has tremendous impact because I'm investing my time into seeing what he's actually doing within the game. And so then I'm able to, number one, he's excited that I showed up. But then now when I talk to him about, okay, that right hand pass was not strong or that left hand finish was not strong, here's why we need to work on these basics and these fundamentals. It really makes the connection. The same can be true for a pro-level guy in terms of if if I get on synergy and break down some film for him, yeah, and he know I'm a my best interest. I have his best interest at heart in terms of him getting better. Then I'm adding value to him, so it it just kind of helps. Yeah, flush out the relationship. One thing I hear when you're speaking is your authenticity when it comes to the game and how true and respectful you are to the game. How have you been able to maintain that throughout the course of your coaching career and just player development? Because at a lot of times you you just hear coaches, they kind of get to a, at a point where they not necessarily just coaches, but just people in general, they get to a point where they feel like they're established in their ways. But you're open minded to the fact that there's change and stuff like that. So if you could talk about how you've been able to maintain that level of authenticity and realness within the game, that'd be great. So if you get what I'm saying, I just want to dissect that authenticity part right there. Yeah. No, that's a, that's another great question, man. I think one, just having a passion and love for the game. And I think that the ability to see how the game has evolved and changed and to see that some people that call themselves basketball lifers in terms of how this is going to be. Some of them, in terms of mindset, have have not evolved and they're not able to continue on in working in a game. So I played for a very disciplined high school coach who's a legend in Michigan, Hall of Famer in Michigan, Ben Kelso. He was very, like, Bobby Knightish. He was on me hardcore, like, some of the things he did back then, he would be arrested today <laughs> if he did that to his players. So just in terms of what it means to, to discipline, he was a great coach. And, and in no way I'm not saying that he did things illegal, but just in terms of <laughs> yeah, for how sure. much we evolved in terms of how you can talk to kids. And that, that goes in parenting and a lot of other things. So I guess I say all that to say is that just being willing to evolve with the game to be continue to learn. I've learned so much from players and I continue to seek knowledge from players, just asking them about different nuances of the game, of things they experience, that it presents itself as the same for me, because I've seen a lot of it being a player, former player, but knowing that the game has changed so much, just having that willingness to mm. be open to them and learn from them. And I, I think that's essentially what's helped me. So one of the things about basketball, which is so interesting to me that I've actually done research on it here at Upstate, is the level of communication some coaches will have toward their players. And what I mean by that is what you were just honing on, the like Bobby Knight-esque 
type of communication. So did you ever think that there was ever a line that not your coach in particular, but coaches in general can cross that can just completely crush a kid's confidence and that it's hard for them to recover? And it's because especially at the youth level where there's a lot of people that just do it for the money. I've just seen it in the grassroots level. And they have the opportunity to work with the kid, but they don't utilize the opportunity to hone on them and not just the basketball aspect, but in regards to just life in general. But what I'm trying to get at at the end of the day with this question is, do you think that a coach can go too far in regards to reaching to a player? Could he go? Could he yell at a player for messing up and it could really crush his confidence? And do you think that level of communication is fine or do you think it should be altered in another way yeah I, I definitely think a coach can tear a player down morale wise so it's important that the player understand who the kid is and, and also i'll back up and say it's important that the coach understand almost do a self-check of him or herself to ensure that they in a good place and they have the right motives as to why they're why. I think some coaches get in, in trouble when they not clear as to their why. And so there's tons of in that regard. I think it's more important that you think about the individuals that you're coaching. There's some players that you can be on and they can handle it. They, they just mentally and emotionally yeah. tough to be able to withstand that. So. I think it depends on the kid and you knowing your players and what buttons you can push with your players. Coach, amongst this crazy time that we live in, I'm just going to ask two more questions and then we can wrap it up. I wanted to ask you what your thoughts were in regards to the future of basketball in regards to the coronavirus. Now, this outbreak has stopped a lot of things and put a lot of people out of business globally. You know, economically speaking, it could take a huge toll on the global economy. But if we're looking at a smaller scale, something that we just enjoyed, the love of the game, the sport itself, basketball, what do you think is the future of the game post-coronavirus? Yeah, I, I definitely think we're living in a tough time, obviously. And we, we have for, for many years. But obviously with the pandemic going on, it is definitely made us realize that we we definitely the way we love sports how passionate we are about it and then obviously to see people passing is tragic and I thought some prayers are with those people but I, I think the game has another, another opportunity I think technology will will improve the game as it has been over the last 10 years I've seen a lot of players utilize technology in this space, I've had a lot of conversations with kids about technology, about virtual workouts. I think this has given kids an opportunity to kind of go back to some of those foundational things, which is just you, a basketball, and a hoop. And so there's, in any challenge that we have, there's always an opportunity. And I think the silver lining, as most people would say, is that people those those kids can take advantage in that in that way in terms of kind of learning the game becoming students of the game conditioning on your own 
and not being so dependent on an outside coach or a team to develop their game. So mm. I see I see the opportunity in it. Now you were talking about this is just something that I thought of when you were speaking on that. Do you have any strategies in regards to motivating a player to get better? Because I have talked to many people and even myself when I was working out people, I'd get clients and they just came in. It was a transactional thing and they don't have that fire in them or their parents would just bring them in and they want to get better, but they don't understand that this is a process. Do you have any tactics to kind of grab the player, not necessarily physically, just metaphorically speaking, grabbing them and just saying, you know, let's get this going, let's get better and work harder at your craft so it can pay off in the future? No, that's a great question. I think for me, I'm always emphasizing becoming, reaching your highest court. And so being present where you are. And so my my motivational strategy with that, with, with kids is that you can only focus on being the best JV player or the first year college freshman. You have to be present right where you at and let's just be the best where you are right now. Because I think a lot of times players think about if he's a high school kid, he spent 90% of his, his high school career thinking about where I'm going to play at the next level. Can I play at the next level? And so it's just really helping them focus on the conference, <laughs> the preseason, all, all the things that, that entails him being a high school player, how you manage in the classroom, how you manage in your social life. So that's truly my focus is getting them to be present where they are. Obviously, if you're a pro-level guy, there's a lot coming at you. So ensure that they have the right circle around them they have a planned schedule and, and workout for them in terms of what what they need to get done. Mm. So that's been been my 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 method of motivation: just being present where you are and controlling the things that you can control. Coach, I know basketball is in great hands in Atlanta because you'll be at the helm working out so many people over there. But I wanted to end on this final note, Coach. If you could answer this, why do you do what you do? Oh, that's a great question as well, man. I, I think it's definitely to see guys get better. I want men to become men and women to young girls to become women and to use basketball as a vehicle. And, and so I feel like it's my job to kind of give back what was given to me. Again, I see the game. The ball is a globe. It takes kids all over the world. And so that's that's my why. Is to see them grow and develop, right. become full, full people. Thank you, Coach, for your time. I appreciate you doing this for me. Man, thanks for the opportunity, man. All right. And, uh, I, I look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Thank you. All right.